What does it mean to be the bride of Christ? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hear of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of scripture. My name is Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, today we are talking about the doctrine of the bride of Christ. I have a bride. You have mm-hmm. a bride. I do. But I don't but I don't in conversation call her my bride. No, I I, I don't no. either. I some people I mean, do there's that. There's a lot of dudes who do yeah, that. Yeah, and that's okay. And I, and I think they can do that if they want. Yeah, there's a place for that. And I think many would probably find it endearing, but neither does my wife call me husband or anything or bridegroom. Yeah, if she called you bridegroom, it'd be uh, it'd, it'd both be funny and um, and a little strange. So if you if you either call your husband bridegroom, listening, or if you're a husband whose wife calls you bridegroom, please let us know because I I'm curious now. Does anybody <laughs> do that? Yeah, you can uh, you can you can tweet that at uh, at me actually personally. At uh, at Aaron Strongarm, and uh, I will gladly uh, share that with Brian because he doesn't check his Twitter all that. <laughs> I check. I just don't tweet very often. There you go. It's probably for the best. Yeah, probably. But uh, but yeah. So I'm not a I'm not a refer to my wife as my bride guy. Um, although my wife does call me husband man. There you so. go. Well, you <laughs> know, you it's you, like a superhero. Yeah. Usually, there are many times that you and I will get off on a tangent like this, and there's absolutely no point to it. But this one, actually, there is a point to it because as we're going to see, we're going to read this doctrine of the Bride of Christ, and the one thing we really have to be careful about is connecting this really closely to earthly marriage, what we experience in our husband and wife relationships. Not exactly; it's not a one-to-one, exactly, of course, but God intended for our marriages to help us understand this doctrine. So it is fitting that we talk about this. We're probably a little bit too immature about how we're talking about it right now, but hey, we are who we are. This is who we are. Exactly. That's right. So, All right. So Aaron, why don't you go ahead and read the essential doctrine and then uh, summarize it and we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. So when we talk about the bride of Christ, this is uh, this is what we mean. So the church is described as the bride of Christ, faithfully waiting for the day when Christ will return and heaven and earth will be one, made up of all believers from all from all tribes, tongues, and nations. The church is the bride that Christ redeemed. The picture of a bride also speaks to the permanence of Christ's relationship with the church, for marriage was intended by God to be a lasting covenant between a man and woman. So, if we're summarizing this, the the easiest way and the simplest way to to summarize it is that we are that as believers, the church is in a committed relationship with Christ. And I noticed as you were reading it, you emphasized that permanence when we talked about speaking to permanence, and that's really important as well. And we'll revisit that because there is a tension between earthly marriages and this permanent marriage of the bride of Christ that we we will have to kind of interact with a little bit in, in a minute. Yeah. But first, let's look at some doctrines where we see this. I, I'll start the first while it's not directly here, it's it's a it's a fundamental verse on what marriage is, and so it helps us understand the bride of Christ. And it's Genesis two twenty four, the first wedding many would would see this as. 
And you have this commentary after the kind of the, the wedding. You have Adam receiving Eve, the woman. And then you have Moses providing commentary on this in verse 24. And he says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. Some translations use cleave. Leave and cleave is a common phrase there. And they become one flesh. And it's that unity, that new family that's in mind there. Uh, that, you know, the leaving of the parents is not a rejection of them, but it's, it's the primacy. That relationship is no longer, no longer primary. The husband and wife, that new relationship now becomes primary, and it's the start of a new family. And again, it, it perpetuates. At one point, if those, that husband and wife have children of their own, those children will get older, perhaps find a husband or wife of their own, and then this process continues. So um, it's the area here that we really can connect closely with the bride of Christ is this idea of bonding, unity, mm-hmm. being in a new family. Another passage uh, that comes from Matthew's gospel, so Matthew 19, 4 and 5, says this. So haven't you read that, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female, and he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined for, uh, to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so really, the, uh, so this is Jesus in one of his many interactions with uh, some hostile nitpickers, <laughs> and <laughs> what he is being expressed here is the unity of a man and a woman, that, that in marriage they become one, they're united together in the same way that that Christ, that through the gospel that we are united with Christ, yeah. and that through the gospel the church is united together as well. So this continues that, that thread that we have been talking about really for the past few weeks as we've been talking about the, the identity of a new believer, unity in the church, un- the union with Christ, all of these kinds of things. This is, uh, this is the, the, the cap on that. Yeah. And one other passage is 2 Corinthians 11.2 um, that speaks to this. And this is where it is a little bit more on the nose. Again, what we just looked at is marriage in general, and then Jesus' commentary, his, his clarification of that and affirmation of it. And then Paul later in 2 Corinthians, he's the one that really starts connecting the dots between earthly marriage and our relationship with Christ. And and he he writes this, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. And so there we see, uh, and in Ephesians is another um, common passage where he makes this connection. I believe we we read that in one of the prior two episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so here you see Paul is, is likening our marriage relationship to our relationship with Christ. So Again, just a, a small um, sample of passages. There are a few more. Uh, but let's just kind of move on to any cautions or, or anything that we want to kind of be careful about talking about and understanding this doctrine. I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump on one thing sure. because uh, because I feel really passionate about this. Uh, so when we talk about cautions, um, areas that require some very careful understanding, um, a key one is understanding um, the relationship between the gospel and earthly marriage. And so what I mean by that is that this doctrine, the bri- this, this understanding of the church as the bride of Christ, must frame our understanding of our earthly marriages, but not the other way around. Yeah. 
And so we don't read in human relationships into our relationship with God. We correct our understanding of our human relationships in light of the in light of what Scripture says uh, um, is the ideal of <laughs> our relationship with God. Getting this down a little bit deeper, you know, ultimately, you know, we have to remember that marriages that marriage is a good gift from God, and our marriages are a good gift from God. So it's not just marriage in general, but our marriages, the marriages we experience. Now, wouldn't be us if there wasn't a caveat in here. <laughs> no human marriage is perfect. And we're going to talk about we're, we're going to talk about the question of divorce in a little bit. There's also the other issue of of spousal abuse in various sorts yes. and kinds. Do not hear when we say marriage is a good gift from God and our marriages are a good gift from God as saying that abuse is good because it is not. It's not okay ever. People who abuse their spouses are violating every single command related to marriage and just related to related to life um, un, as a believer that there is. So do not... So please don't hear what we're not saying. And if you are in one of those situations, please talk to someone and get some help. And Aaron, that's why it's so important you mentioned rightly that we have to understand our earthly marriages in light of God's plan and, and ideal and not come to understand our relationship with Christ through our broken. And, and no matter how, no matter what your marriage is like, it's broken to some capacity because we're all broken sinners. Now, as you're saying, some are, is broken mm -hmm. a lot more than others, and and yes, there are examples of abuse and so forth that w you're right to pick pick that out or point that out. And um, but even in the best of marriages, we still make mistakes. We still don't yeah. love our spouse as we should. And so, what we don't want to do is is take our our um, our cloudy idea of what marriage is and force that upon Christ's relationship with us. We, we keep the lofty nature of his perfect relationship with us, and we strive to emulate that in our earthly marriages. So let's just get to this idea of divorce, because we've brought it up once or twice. Mm -hmm. So here's the tension. If we think about this, uh, this doctrine, and if we believe that salvation is secure, and not everybody would, there would be some people who are listening will say, no, I... I I don't believe that. I, I believe we can lose our salvation or renounce our salvation. I personally would not agree with that, but there are some who, who do. But let's talk about those who would hold that salvation is secure. Again, I'm in that camp, Aaron, I believe you're in that camp, that if mm -hmm. you're truly regenerate, that's gonna, you, nothing's going to change that. Mm -hmm. Well, So we would say that Christ will never divorce us. But then we look at earthly marriage and we look at, you know, we read Matthew a little bit before and we read that full account. Jesus gives the exception clause there that divorce is not permitted except for pornea. Adultery is a very specific word for adultery. Uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 5, we see something similar. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, I believe it is, mentions the abandonment uh, by an unbelieving spouse. So it seems like Scripture would say there are grounds, and I think most, uh, take a poll, but I, I believe most believers would believe or would accept at least two grounds for divorce, those two we listed from Scripture. Mm -hmm. So how do we reconcile this? If Christ is married to us and that marriage is permanent, 
and our earthly marriages are supposed to reflect that, then there's a tension there that if we allow divorce, because it starts breaking down the imagery. So because of this, we, we have to understand there are some different views of if and when divorce is permissible for Christians. And the first group would say, well, Brian, you're wrestling with something that you need not wrestle with because divorce is not permissible. That a believing relationship, a husband and wife who are believers, are in a permanent covenant relationship that may not be dissolved for any reason. And there would, you know, this group would look at the exception clause and, and have an explanation for it. And there are a couple possible explanations. Um, and, and so they would say, there's the answer. And it, 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 it's nice from this perspective, what we're talking about this doctrine, because it, it does then align really well. But then another group, again, the most common, I think would say, no, scripture's clear. <laughs> there are times where divorce is permitted in God's concession to us, not his, his design, but his concession to us. And adultery, for example, ruins that marriage relationship. And, and so that, you know, it's understandable there. And then abandonment for, by an unbeliever, you're not equally yoked. And so there would be, again, grounds to explain those. The third group would take another step farther and say, well, Uh, Yeah, those two are are valid grounds for divorce, but they are not the only two. Those are just two situations that Jesus and Paul were responding to in their contexts. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what they would say about abuse, for example. Scripture doesn't record it. So what if the Jewish leaders had come to Jesus and said, hey, can can a person leave their spouse because they're abused? He may have said yes. And Paul may have addressed that if that were the issue going on in Corinth. So this group would say, we have grounds for other, and abuse would be one, of other reasons that Christians may divorce. Now, most in that camp would still say, we've got to be careful. We don't just open the the doors, (laughs) the floodgates to anything. You know, it's not Pandora's box. Any reason goes. Yeah, yeah, there is no biblically grounded argument or or defense of no-fault divorce. Yes. So I think the reason why I wanted to take a few minutes and walk through this is because I believe it's up to every one of us as believers to really strive to understand Scripture as best we can and develop a position on this based on theology, not practicality. Don't let practicality drive your interpretation of Scripture. Start with Scripture and then let that inform how you see this practicing. And I think the other thing is we have to extend grace. Um, This can be a contentious issue. Um, Some would consider divorced Christians as as having a scarlet letter, D on them. Um, I think there's a lot of pain that goes with this. There are a lot of people who have been wounded. Um, As you were right to point out, I think there are people who are in abusive relationships now, and they are not doing something to get safe because they have a misunderstanding of, of what's expected of them. So when we come to this, I think we have to extend grace to one another. My position's actually changed within the last year and a half or so, two years maybe. I, you know, just looking more at, at the text and, and doing more research, I've actually changed in my position, which helps me extend grace to others. 
when, when you can recognize, <laughs> I don't know if I agree with myself from three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a little bit easier to say, maybe I need to be a little bit kinder to somebody else who I still disagree with because I might be in that camp one day mm-hmm. in some issues. Um, so let's extend grace to one another. Um, and again, when we talk about this doctrine, getting back to it, it is not a direct one-to-one correlation. So yeah. there could be grounds where divorce in a human marriage is, is permitted, but not, of course, in our relationship with Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's one of those things that really is important, although we didn't we didn't reference it. We mentioned we mentioned Ephesians five, but um, when when we apply when we, when we think about marriage in light of the gospel, we have to pay that pay very careful attention to that passage. Not just starting at twenty two, where we get to the where we get to the you know wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and then later to husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, but starting back up a few verses in verse 15 and forward and paying attention to the mutual submission to the Lord that is the starting point of all of it. A marriage with the gospel at its foundation, a marriage that is framed by this doctrine, starts with that understanding. It it doesn't start in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. It has to include that mutual submission, even as it pays very careful attention to the call that continues in verses 22 and beyond with wives being called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord and husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church, which is an yeah. incredibly daunting calling. Exactly. And and there are requirements both ways, of course, but there's mm-hmm. a, a heavy responsibility and a privilege, of course, on, on us to love properly our our wives and to reflect this love. I think we've we've as we often do, we've kind of migrated toward the difference this doctrine should make. And so let me just kind of summarize those and, and we'll call it an episode. The first one is is it should foster a deeper commitment to Christ. That if if we understand we are in this committed relationship, this permanent relationship, this that's that our marriage is to to an extent picture and he's fully committed to us no matter what, it, it, it should motivate us to want to live in full commitment to him. But the other thing is it should, uh, it should frame how we live in unity with the church. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, we live, we're one with Christ. That is vital. We've talked about that in the last couple of episodes. But we are also one body. Um, we are the bride of Christ together. And so the horizontal and vertical relationships both matter, both matter greatly. You can't, pardon the pun, you can't divorce them from one another. Uh, they go hand in hand. We cannot claim to love Christ on the vertical plane if we are not loving our fellow believers on the horizontal plane. And we can't love our brothers and sisters on a horizontal plane if we don't have the love of Christ on the vertical plane infusing us and carrying out over us and through us. So this love in those both directions is so important and unity. And we've talked about this so often in various episodes. 
we have got to be united as, as one body of, of believers. And it goes back to extending grace on our views of divorce, for example, and remarriage as believers and so many other issues. As long as we're holding for, fast to the gospel and agreeing on those, those primary issues, we can extend grace on the other issues and, and live in unity. All right. So let's call it an episode there, Aaron. Thanks for talking about this. Um, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.